For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A new study made headlines this week for its claim that eating a single freshwater fish is on par with drinking a month's worth of contaminated water. <laughs> At least, that's what you learned if you only read the headlines. If you dig a little deeper, you find that the truth is a little more complicated. Which is exhausting, I know. Thanks to everyone who sent this in. There's a lot of you. This peer-reviewed study was published in the Environmental Research Journal. The study looked at two sets of freshwater fish data. One set of samples were collected from various water bodies in the United States between 2013 and 2015, and the other was collected from the Great Lakes in 2015. The top-line numbers are pretty darn concerning. The study found that the concentrations of a common type of forever chemical known as PFAS were higher in freshwater fish than in commercially farmed fish or in seafood. The concentrations were twice as high in the Great Lakes samples than in the samples from across the country. And of the 13 forever chemicals measured, all were detected in at least one fish sample. To put these numbers in perspective, the authors compared the forever chemical levels in freshwater fish with the levels in drinking water. They estimate that eating one serving of freshwater fish at the median PFOS level is equal to drinking one month's worth of tap water at 2,400 times the EPA's forever chemical advisory limit. That's scary stuff. But does it mean you should throw your walleye and crappie fillets in the trash? Not exactly. The authors include several caveats that didn't make most news articles I've seen. First, location matters. A lot. 
median levels of PFAS were 2.7 times higher in urban locations compared to non-urban locations, and average PFAS concentrations were 1.6 times higher. What's more, the data they used is nearly a decade old. You might assume that since forever chemicals don't degrade, they're, quote, forever, after all, the situation can't be better today than it was in 2015, but you may be wrong. The authors note that the forever chemical levels in freshwater fish actually went down by 30% between 2009 and 2015. Decreased use of forever chemicals may be keeping the levels down, and it's possible the concentrations have continued to decrease over the last few years. It's also worth noting that the way we cook fish can impact how much chemical we ingest. The authors point to a separate 2022 study which found that cooking seafood in water or oil that is then discarded decreases forever chemicals levels by 29% on average. The authors don't speculate how this might apply to freshwater fish, but they do acknowledge that there's a difference between chemical levels in cooked and uncooked fillets. Another big unknown. Scientists still aren't exactly sure at what point forever chemical consumption impacts an individual's health. We know these chemicals aren't good for you, and the levels found in freshwater fish exceed what the EPA says you should be ingesting, but further research is needed to determine the extent of the risk, and until then, it'll be tough for anglers to make a truly informed decision. This week, you guessed it, legislation. Plus bears and canis lupus v. mustelidae. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week has been pretty darn good. I'm sitting here sunburned and still a little bit cold, if I'm being honest. I reconnected with a good buddy of mine, Casey Hawks, which many of you know as the head of First Light Customer Service. Old Seahawk and I have been smacking quackers and working with our young dogs. His would be Blanche, who just jumped up on the bed that my computer's resting on as I read this week's script. And yes, like the Golden Girls, she's endearing, charming, and cute as a button. Thank you for being she's about, uh, I don't know, she's probably like 15 pounds smaller than Snort. She's tiny. And don't you worry, you won't have to let your imagination do all the work as you will be able to see Casey's little avablanche on a future waterfowl episode soon to come to the meateater.com or the Meat Eater YouTube channel. You'll also get to see all that awesome First Light waterfowl gear and the product testing that goes into it on the screen size of your choice. And yes, First Light waders are real. And for those of you that are following along, the waterfowl lineup is just amazing. Best gear I've ever run. And I've been uh, playing in the waterfowl game a long time. And speaking of playing... We've been running boats hours before sunup in the wind, fog, and snow-ish kind of weather, but we're remaining dry, warm, and, you know, just happy to be on the water chasing the very last of this regular season's waterfowl. Mallards, spoonbills, widgeon have all been fair game, at least for me. We've been letting the golden eyes pass. As for the snort report, well, friends and neighbors, she is extremely unhappy with me. 
She does not believe bringing a bird to my side is appropriate, but she'll swim across a side channel and heavy current on a blind retrieve, follow hand signals, and she's not lost a bird yet. The nose is magnificent as per usual, and we'll get to an understanding on whose bird it is yet. I'm sure. I mean, I'm pretty darn sure. Lots of work. No surprise there. Housekeeping. Listener Nick from PA writes in with another acronym, BANANA. Build absolutely nothing, anywhere, near anyone. If you listened to last week's episode with NIMBY, you'll understand BANANA. Backcountry Hunters and Anglers North American Rendezvous is coming up quick. Missoula County Fairgrounds. This year we're doing it March 15th through the 18th. And as per usual, incredible people, incredible food, educational panels, backcountry gear, and most importantly, a diverse mix of hunting and fishing outdoors folks you want to get to know. I'll see you there. Also, if you're attending all of the super cool stuff at this year's Pheasant Fest in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I'll see you there. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Really looking forward to it. And I'll just say, hey, nice to meet you for everybody who attended the super cool Mule Deer Foundation Migration Corridor workshop panels, speakers, uh, this Friday in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for saying hi. Moving on to the legislative desk. Wyoming residents are in for a roller coaster this year. The legislature is considering a bunch of bills that will affect hunting in public land, so all you cowboy staters will want to pay attention. One bill, known as House Bill 104, would allow hunters to use night vision scopes and artificial light to kill coyotes and other predators on public land at night. Another bill, SF 56, would prohibit hunters from traveling through private land in order to hunt. You might wonder why such a bill is necessary, considering the fact that trespassing on private property is already illegal. The legislation seems to be aimed at the corner crossing issue because it specifically defines trespass as, quote, physically touching or driving on the surface of private property. I'm no lawyer, but I believe this would remove all the, quote, airspace nonsense and allow hunters to use ladders to corner cross between public land parcels, I think. This bill has already passed the state Senate and is headed to the House. Yet another bill in Wyoming would start a negotiation process between the state government and tribal representatives over hunting and fishing rights granted by an 1868 treaty. House Bill 83 doesn't grant members of Native American tribes the right to hunt and fish whenever they choose but it does lay the ground rules for negotiations between the governor's office and the tribes. It would authorize the governor to make agreements that allow the tribes to develop their own license requirements, and it would prohibit hunting on private property without permission. The tribes would also agree to align their hunting, fishing, and trapping seasons with those set by the Wyoming Game and Fish Commission, except for limited exceptions for ceremonial, traditional, or religious purposes. If you want to weigh in on any of these bills, get in touch with your Wyoming representatives. Oh, also one more thing that we will put up on the Ask Cal page at TheMeatEater.com is that revised wanton waste bill that I was talking about a couple episodes ago. That is now live. 
and I'm going to talk about it in terms specifically regarding grizzly bears. Once we get state management of grizzly bears, it is going to be a long, long time before anyone is ever lucky enough to draw two grizzly bear tags. So this will be a once in a lifetime, a true once in a lifetime opportunity for the very, very, very few people who actually get to hunt them. So why not take it all out of the woods? Big old mountain bears are delicious. Grizzly bears are no different than big old black bears, for the most part. When it comes to table fare, they are fantastic. That bill, regarding revised wanton waste laws in Wyoming, you'll be able to find at TheMeatEater.com and, uh, you know, the Ask Cal page. So check it out. We're going to put the trophy where it should be, which is, you know, on the wall and on your plate. And, you know, maybe a nice uh, throw rug or, you know, a shawl, one of the ladies' things that uh, you drape over your shoulders. You know, I, I think I saw the uh, old guy with the shotgun in um, Legends of the Fall wearing that too. That'd be a good one to check into. Anyway, like Wyoming, Colorado legislators are also proposing bills that would address the corner crossing question. House Bill 23-1066 explicitly legalizes crossing from one public parcel to another at the corner where the parcels touch. It prohibits public land users from touching private property or fences, but it allows the use of a ladder to cross a fence. It also prohibits a landowner from building a fence that is more than 54 inches high within four feet of the corner. Nebraska is also considering several hunting and conservation-related bills this year, and I appreciate all the corn huskers who've written in to tell me about them. Quick side note, Nebraska has what's called a unicameral legislature. This means that instead of needing to pass two chambers of Congress, a House and a Senate, bills in Nebraska only need to pass a single unicameral chamber. The word comes from the Latin uni, meaning one, and camera, meaning chamber. Anyway, the unicameral Nebraska legislature will be voting on a bill, LB400, that establishes the Pheasant Restoration Act. The bill doesn't do much in the way of habitat restoration. Instead, it would institute a bounty program on nest predators, which it defines as badgers, coyotes, opossums, raccoons, red foxes, and striped skunks. Between March 1st and July 1st, anyone over the age of 16 who brings back one of these nest predators would be paid $10 for each animal, and the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission would offer 50,000 bounties per year. The idea is that reducing the populations of these nest predators by 5,000 individuals per year would help boost pheasant numbers. If you're asking me, I like it. Got to keep in mind, there's been a general westward expansion of several of these nest predators in the modern age, and not only pheasants, but any ground nesting birds, including migratory birds, like our ducks, geese, and crane, suffer as critters such as raccoons expand their territories. What I don't like about this is, let's drop the age down to at least 12. That's a great way to work on your aim and earn a living as a 12-year-old. In case you were wondering, that's my take. The Nebraska legislature is also considering a bill known as the Riparian Protection and Water Qualities Practices Act. 
This bill would require landowners to maintain a riparian buffer of native vegetation around rivers and streams that are identified as important to maintaining the state's water quality. If you are a landowner in Nebraska, this one definitely deserves a closer look. The bill number is LB40. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. In West Virginia, the state legislature is poised to pass a bill that would legalize using leashed dogs to track mortally wounded turkey, elk, and wild boar. It's already legal to use dogs to track deer, This bill just adds those other three species to the list. The bill also clarifies that the animal counts towards the bag limit of the hunter who fired the shot, not of any hunter who finds the animal using dogs. The bill number is SB200, and it's already passed the Senate. The House should consider it soon, and it doesn't look like there's much opposition. In Wisconsin, well, the legislature isn't making any big moves at the moment, but you cheeseheads should still keep a close eye on your state natural resources board. Following the resignation of two Scott Walker appointees, 
Current Governor Tony Evers appointed a school teacher, Sandy Nass, to the board in April 2021. Then, just this month, Evers appointed another board member, a dairy farmer named Paul Burr. Evers has now appointed five out of the seven board members since he took office in 2019. Environmental groups are hopeful the board's new makeup will spur changes in policy for forever chemicals and nitrates in groundwater. The state Senate is supposed to confirm appointees to the board, but gubernatorial appointees can serve until a confirmation vote fails. If the Senate never holds a vote, that can't happen. Whatever you think about these new appointees, one thing is pretty clear, elections matter. In only three years, Governor Evers has flipped the conservation majority on the DNR board, which was only possible because Wisconsinites voted him into office. Just some cheese curds for thought, folks. In Alaska, the legislature will consider a bill that would allow municipalities to regulate trapping to protect persons and property within its boundaries. Under the bill, municipalities will be able to set trap identification requirements, restrictions on the types of traps used, and prohibitions on setting traps in certain areas. The bill number is HB12, and it's been assigned to the Community and Regional Affairs Committee. If you want my take, this empowers citizens to do the job for free instead of everybody's taxes going to pay somebody else to do it for you. Over in Arkansas, House Bill 1033 would allow a minor who resides out of state, that's not the hard hat with the light minor, but the uh, youngins, anyway, when they're visiting a parent or legal guardian in Arkansas, they can pay resident fees for hunting and fishing licenses. Massachusetts is set to consider a raft of hunting-related bills this session. HD 591 would repeal the prohibition on Sunday hunting. SD 33 would allow crossbows to be used even by hunters who are not disabled. SD 480 would prohibit hunters who hunt migratory game birds from a watercraft from discharging a firearm within 1,000 feet of the coastal shoreline. SD 76 is titled An Act Relative to Outdoor Heritage. It would remove the requirement for public land hunters to carry firearms in an enclosed case in their vehicles while maintaining the requirement that the guns be unloaded. It would also liberalize bow hunting laws in the state, and it would increase penalties for hunter harassment. If you'd like to weigh in on any of these bills, get in touch with your Massachusetts legislators. South Carolina Bill 3010 would prohibit private firearm sales by requiring all sales to be conducted via the National Instant Criminal Background System. The bill makes an exception for transfers between immediate family members, which it defines as spouses, domestic partners, children, and stepchildren. If you'd like to give a rifle to your grandchild, you'd still have to make sure little Johnny passes a background check. Over in Washington. Speaking of gun legislation, Washington state is considering a bill, HB 1143, that would require prospective gun owners to obtain a permit before purchasing a firearm. This permit could be obtained by passing a background check and taking a safety course, among other requirements. The bill would also impose a 10-day waiting period to purchase a firearm. Another controversial bill in Washington state 
would require an accused animal abuser to pay for the care and boarding of their animal while it is held pending the outcome of the charges. That might not sound controversial, but the bill also allows, quote, any prudent person to seize an animal if they suspect the animal is not receiving the minimum amount of care to preserve the animal's mental health. What's more, even if the accused is eventually deemed to be innocent, they're still on the hook for paying for the animal's room and board while it's being held. Opponents of the bill worry that, taken together, these provisions might be used to harass hunting dog owners by people who just don't like hunting. The bill, HB 1234, has been assigned to the Civil Rights and Judiciary Committee. I'd sure pay attention to that. On the federal side, back to Alaska. Or as I like to say, north to Alaska. The National Park Service wants to reinstate a ban on bear baiting. On national preserves, President Obama instituted a bear baiting ban in 2015, but that rule was reversed by President Trump in 2020. This return to the 2015 rule would also change the definition of sport hunting to, among other things, prohibit hunters from taking wolves and coyotes during the denning season. If you'd like to weigh in on this new set of rules, the National Park Service is accepting public comments until March 10. Visit themeateater.com forward slash cal for a link to the full rule and place to comment. The Bureau of Land Management is also considering a new set of rules to help protect greater sage-grouse and its sagebrush habitat. According to E&E News, the new management plan would cover the nearly 70 million acres of sagebrush habitat the Bureau of Land Management manages. It could include redesignating some core sage-grouse territory into areas of critical environmental concern which would add new restrictions on everything from energy development to recreational activities across potentially hundreds of thousands of acres. Other possible revisions could include stronger enforcement of seasonal restrictions on land use activities, such as curbing oil and gas drilling during sage-grouse mating or brood-rearing seasons and larger buffers around breeding grounds. These moves also could end up restricting where new wind and solar farms are sited. This new blueprint has not been finalized and is not yet open for comment, but we'll keep tracking this story as it develops. Moving on to the bear desk. Bird flu isn't just for the birds, according to Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. The agency reported recently that three juvenile grizzly bears tested positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza virus this fall. The three bears, no, not a children's story, or not a happy one, but I'll tell it like it is. One bear near Augusta, home of the Elks, one bear near Depuyer, and another near Kalispell were observed to be in poor condition and exhibited disorientation and partial blindness. Among other neurological issues, they were euthanized due to their sickness and poor condition. These were the first documented cases of bird flu in grizzly bears recorded in the U.S. Although it's uncommon for mammals to contract the bird flu, it has been known to happen. The rolling outbreak that began last year has infected foxes, skunks, coyotes, black bears, and raccoons. Humans have also been infected, but the CDC considers the risk to humans pretty low. Infections generally occur among folks who are around birds for a long time without any kind of protection. Think workers and chicken farms. As far as we know, 
these three grizzly bears had not been working in a chicken farm, though I have a feeling they would eagerly submit their resumes. Instead, biologists believe they contracted the flu after eating infected meat. On a much more tragic note, a polar bear killed a mother and her one-year-old son in Alaska earlier this month. A report from the Alaska State Troopers indicated that the attack was entirely unprovoked. The bear entered the remote village of Wales and chased multiple residents before finding the mother and son walking between a school and a clinic around 2.30 p.m., the blinding snow and wind likely prevented the woman from noticing the bear before it attacked. An Alaska state trooper told the Associated Press there is no law enforcement in the remote village, so one of the local residents shot and killed the bear before it harmed anyone else. Unlike grizzly bears, polar bears almost never attack humans. According to a 2017 study, there have only been 73 polar bear attacks in 144 years in the five countries where the animals live. 20 of these attacks were fatal. Compare that to 664 brown bear attacks on humans worldwide in just the years between 2000 and 2015. The polar bear study found that, also unlike grizzlies, most polar bear attacks are perpetrated by young males searching for food. Only 11 of those 144 attacks were a mother protecting cubs. Officials say this most recent attack was likely spurred by starvation. According to Megan Pleat Postal, writing for the Meat Eater, the last fatal polar bear mauling occurred in 1990 when a man was killed in Point Lay, Alaska. Another attack occurred in 1993 when a polar bear broke through the window of an Air Force radar station on the North Slope and mauled a 55-year-old mechanic who survived. Biologists are concerned that as climate change shrinks polar bear habitat, conflicts between humans and bears will increase. More hungry bears forced into proximity to human settlements could result in more attacks just like this one. Moving on to the wolf desk. Wolves on a remote island in Alaska have started dining almost exclusively on sea otters. When scientists first started studying the wolf population on Pleasant Island in 2015, they estimated that deer made up about three-quarters of their diet. But between 2015 and 2020, the deer population plummeted to only 7% of its 2015 level. So, the wolves adapted. They've always eaten sea otters, but by 2020, a whopping 57% of their diet consisted of these marine mammals. The rest of their diet consisted of fish or other sea creatures, which they basically get all wrapped into a nice little package when they eat a sea otter. What the wolves' diet did not contain was almost exclusively not deer. If you've ever watched a dog swim, you know that wolves wouldn't stand much of a chance catching a sea otter in the ocean. So they wait until an otter comes onto land to escape a predator or a storm, then they surround it. One scientist who visited the island said he saw two wolves ambush an otter from either side, while another wolf ran behind it to keep it from getting back into the ocean. Wolves were first sighted on Pleasant Island in 2013 after having swum from the mainland. Since then, their pack number has fluctuated between 13 wolves in 2015 to 8 wolves in 2020. If you're an otter, you may be thinking, it's time to rename this island. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal, at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. 
Also, remember to go to www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel, gum, and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order